Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I'm fresh off a very meditative beach walk. I got to say, it was it was good for my heart. It was good for my mind. It was good for my spirit. And I spent quite a bit of the hour that I was out there just pondering you, actually. And <laughs> I'm honored. Here's what I came up with. You know, I've called you the greased pig in the past, and I know that's maybe a little bit negative, and, and you don't necessarily want to uh, lump your friends in with farm animals if you don't have to. Sure. And, but you do tend to change your mind a little bit. And I was thinking, you know, I probably don't change my mind. I'm probably stubborn to an unhealthy degree. I actually think you change your mind to a healthy degree. Mm-hmm. But most most sports writers change their mind so infrequently, so rarely, that you look completely unhealthy uh, and crazy in, in how often you flip-flop by comparison. So <laughs> th- this is my roundabout way of saying... Um, I'm trying to catch you on the pendulum here a little bit because okay. on Sunday we witnessed the Cavaliers break hearts, break minds in Boston. It was sad. I mean, there was nearly tears shed an hour before Paul Pierce was even up there giving his speech. I mean, these guys were going to cry in the third quarter because <laughs> they're getting lit up by Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. I mean, the Cavaliers just steamrolled. Uh, the Celtics in really epic fashion in front of everybody. I mean, Doc was there, Danny Ainge is there, all the owners. I mean, it was a really tough loss for Boston. While that was happening, you were all in. I believe about two minutes into the game, you said, look, it's done. Cleveland's going to the finals. Watch out. Watch out, Golden State. But here's what happened. I I got nervous that your pendulum would swing too far the other way because (laughs) over the last 24 hours, you know, that consensus on the internet builds, oh, Cleveland's really good now, the new Cavs. Everybody writes those takes. And your instinct is to always fight the consensus, right? And so... I delayed a little bit today. I didn't want to catch you at 2 p.m. my time when I thought you might still be in that anti-consensus mentality. I'm hoping I waited long enough so that you're back on here ready to say some really pro-Cavaliers, just reckless hot takes about LeBron passing Jordan and the Cavaliers are the new favorites to win the title. I want that version (laughs) of Sharp. I don't want the muted sort of halfway, okay, tap dancing version of Sharp. So are you going to uh, fulfill my wishes? Uh, Maybe. I I mean, my exact words to you Sunday afternoon were, I'm glad that we don't have to record a podcast today because I would say some reckless shit about how good the Cavs are and what they can do this spring. Because I was filled with the fire, caught up in the moment, whatever you want to call it. it. (laughs) Do it. Do it, Andrew. I'm not going to do that. I will say I appreciate some of the qualifying you did at the top there because it shouldn't be an indictment of of me that I changed my mind. I think that's that's a, a healthy sign, someone who's willing to admit when he's wrong. And what I love most about this Cavs season is, as various listeners will remember, I was very much out on the Cavs after the first month or six weeks of the season. You stayed faithful and said, look, there's no way LeBron's not going to the finals. And in stubborn, some ways... <laughs> stubborn or faithful, whatever right. you want to say, yeah. Right. Well, but in some ways, I think we were both right because my objections to the Cavs early on were like, look, half of these guys couldn't possibly play defense even if they were invested. And you were saying, as long as LeBron's there, they're fine. And in the long run, I mean, look, LeBron was engaged on Sunday. 
the the new additions looked fantastic. I don't think that they're going to shoot 55% from three in every game. And like some of the shots that Jordan Clarkson was hitting were kind of ridiculous. Uh, and Rodney Hood is going to be hit or miss depending on the game. And in my experience as someone who's been on the Rodney Hood bandwagon for the last four years, but uh, they looked fantastic. So I don't, I, I, de- I definitely think we all have to take a step back and say, okay, the Cavs are the favorite in the East again. Not what I wanted to hear, Andrew, because we got so excited after Isaiah Thomas had one good game. And here's all four <laughs> new Cavaliers players, Larry Nance, Jordan Clarkson, George Hill, Rodney Hood, all four simultaneously having dazzling debuts each in their own right. Don't you think we should be four times more hyped up about that than than we were for Isaiah's one good game against Portland? No. You know what I think we should do, though, is really appreciate one more historic LeBron performance at the Garden <laughs> because that was another thing at at about two thirty on Sunday afternoon. All the tweets were coming in from various Celtics beat writers like KG is in the house. We heard Ray Allen may or may not be here, and then Doc Rivers shows up, and he, Doc Rivers is talking about maybe booing LeBron. And like it occurred to me that there were five or six Celtics legends, like Antoine Walker was there. Uh, Danny Ainge was sitting courtside on the baseline and it was all setting up perfectly for LeBron to demoralize all of them one more time. <laughs> and uh, I, more than anything, I'm glad that the Cavs made those deals at the deadline so that we could get a rejuvenated version of LeBron to own the Celtics all over again. It was beautiful. So when you started that, you said historic performance from LeBron. I didn't actually think you meant the game on Sunday. I thought you were talking about the three weeks prior of pouting because I thought that was also career best pouting from LeBron. I don't think we've seen LeBron pout on that level uh, with that level of commitment ever. And he's definitely gone that route before when he wants to see changes. Certainly, you know, David Blatt could uh, co-sign LeBron's ability to, uh, you know, submarine a season when he's not feeling it uh, or submarine a person. Uh, in that case, but you know, not chest bumping Isaiah Thomas was a real masterstroke right before the deadline. <laughs> yeah. uh, just he really everything spelled he, it out. Lest anyone be confused, Isaiah was not welcome in Cleveland. Anyone who saw that little gif, it was all on display right there. Yeah, but I mean, so many things over the course of the previous three weeks where he's not covering for defensive players, he's finger pointing, he's so frustrated. Frustrated. There's him and D Wade on the bench, kind of looking like, how quickly can we get back to South Beach after the season is over? I mean, you know, they were practically doing that, uh, you know, three, two, one Cancun chant, and then next thing. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's doing some crazy arm-pointing three-point celebration with Jordan Clarkson that no one really knows what it means or, yeah. or how you can explain it. It's like a it's like a bicep dab kind of. I mean, now he's like <laughs> s- smiling ear to ear. You know what? He's best he's best buddies with George Hill. George Hill and LeBron are running pick and rolls like Stockton and Malone on the court, you know, play after play. Boston has no answer for it. This was a historic pouting performance by LeBron, period. We got to give it to him. Yeah, the the celebration with Clarkson was pretty funny because it was actually my wife walked through the living room while I was watching the game and she saw the celebration that Clarkson was doing with LeBron and was like, what are they doing? What what does that mean? And I I started to explain. I was like, I think that's like a three point thing. And then she was like, but but why? What what exactly are they trying to signal? And I was like, honestly, I have no idea. But <laughs> they came up with it. It clicked. It worked. Everybody was well, making shots. 
I'm Andrew, excited. I mean, th- th- this is what happens though when you're LeBron and you spend, you know, your entire career coming up with personalized high fives for every single guy on the team. Yes. Then you trade six guys in one day. You have to dig deep into the celebration uh, barrel for new ones. You know what I mean? Like you can't just recycle <laughs> the old ones. That's true. <laughs> so, so we're going to be seeing all sorts of hijinks we've never seen before from Cleveland's bench, just purely out of necessity. Well, this goes back to my rule of LeBron, though, is that basically. When things are dark for LeBron, it, they they look darker than any team in the league. And now when things are going well, that team is going to look like they're having more fun than any team in the league. But I think you can extend it out to to the the league in general. I like basketball is more fun when LeBron has help and it's more entertaining to to have him working with like a roster that can actually put him in position to challenge like the Warriors. I mean, they're not going to let me the Warriors, but it's going to be a lot less depressing than it would have been a couple weeks ago. And- yeah. Let me stop you there though. Cause I have a question for you because you're right. This has been the rule. It's stuck to the rule. But when you compare like that little silly chest bump he had with Eric Spolstra a few years ago, which was a big deal compared to the depths of this season, like, doesn't it feel like LeBron's like had to up the ante every year with the drama here over the last three or four years to sort of get his intended point through. Like, didn't it seem like this was the most dramatic version we've seen over the last couple of months ever? And he kind of suckered us all into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why sitting here talking to you for the first 10 minutes, it's almost like take whiplash or something because literally, I mean, last, last Wednesday, I felt completely comfortable burying the calves the rest of the way because it was so (laughs) dark that it just didn't seem like it it honestly seemed like a season where LeBron was going to coast and then quit in like the second half and in the second round of the playoffs and it was just going to be uncomfortable to watch and uh and I know you you think it's blasphemous to suggest that LeBron would quit but like he's done that a couple times over the years where he clearly hasn't had the firepower around him and he's just kind of like shifted into cruise control and that's exactly how i thought this season was going to play out and i'm glad that that's not the way it went i wouldn't use the quit word with him ever since he's gone into dad lebron mode where he's lecturing us about like sportsmanship and high fives after losses and stuff i feel like the actual the, the capital q quitting has sort of gone by the wayside and uh, you know, he runs himself into the ground in those finals, whether or not his teammates are, are with them. I or don't not. know, though. Not- I've, t- I've talked about this b- with others in the past. Spike Eskin is one of them. Uh, he's so good that he's capable of, of putting up like triple double numbers and still kind of checking out, you know, like he's just not he's, that's he's not 80% of the player that he, he can be. See, when I think quitting, I think, you know, 2011 finals versus the Mavericks where it's like, did LeBron like leave the building? Why is he doing these fake coughing with Dwayne Wade? Or, you know, the the Celtics series where it got really, really awkward there after all those just atrocious off-court rumors about his teammate and everything. Uh, I think there's been a maturity in how LeBron conducts himself in losing environments since those days. Uh, you know, if you want to give the credit to the, the Miami structure or Riley or whoever, I just think he's grown up over the last five years and it, so, it doesn't get as so bad as it used you, to be. Are you ascribing the last month strictly to strategy on LeBron's part? Because I would say that, like, if you're, if you're looking at this Cavs season, like, he didn't, he wasn't super mature through various stretches of this year. 
Well, I think there's a difference between intentional pouting to okay. get what you want, right? <laughs> right and and quitting. That, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I was calling it earlier a historical performance. I mean, he raised the bar very, very high for pouting in recent years. And I think he took it to a new level and it worked better than ever. I mean, boy, Kobe was right there just to give him whatever he needed. Um, and also shout out to Kobe Altman getting the screen time because, you know, <laughs> a, as you mentioned, it was all kind of setting up, well, at least on the Celtic side, they thought that Sunday game was going to be this big coronation, right? Yeah. Here we are, the new era, Kyrie's going to have 40 and all of our, our dreams are going to look validated. And I think even if you look at the Vegas line, I'm pretty sure Boston was favoring that game. So Kobe Altman to just be, you know, in uh, the vicinity of a Doris Burke interview, <laughs> sitting, you know, in a very, you know, obvious seat courtside watching that game unfold. That was a PR masterstroke by a first time GM. Get himself some nice love after uh, the series of trades he made on uh, on trade deadline day. So and I don't know. We, we do need to we need to get a little careful here, though, because uh, as we saw with the Isaiah debut, uh, one good debut does not make a good season. First of all, if I were Kobe Altman, I would have refused an interview and just sit there, arms folded, looking like oh. a genius. Try to cultivate that mystique from afar so that nobody nobody has any idea what Kobe, Kobe Altman's voice sounds like, uh, but really capitalize on it. Um, but we should, in the spirit of overreactions, can I read one email that we got that I loved? We, we got a lot of good emails. So you surprised me. I don't even know which one it's going to be. Okay. So Brandon in LA says, Danny Ainge will forever regret not getting a score off the bench at the deadline. The Celtics were the clear Eastern Conference favorites just a week ago, and the Cavs were in shambles. But it all officially came to an end on Sunday afternoon. Do you guys think Danny just lost executive of the year to Altman? How far has Boston slipped in your eyes? That's where we've been for the last 36 hours with the whole NBA overreacting to that one game. And it is completely ridiculous. But I I love Brandon in LA for capturing the spirit of the league right now and the conversations around it because all of this is so insane. Well, Kobe Altman has this like kind of the most interesting and silliest executive of the year case I think I can ever <laughs> I can ever remember since so like a lot of horrible moves over the no, summer no like well the original one was just totally logical but it backfired as horribly as possible and then he just saves it completely and if this is how it goes you know if they wind well, up uh coming out of the east what are you supposed to say I mean we, you have to you have to give him the credit though, can we say one thing about the Isaiah Thomas trade because yeah. I feel like that has been like the narrative on that has gotten screwed up over the last six months. I mean, they made that deal for the Nets pick and Isaiah was almost a throw in and Jay Crowder, they expected to be better than he was. And he wasn't a great fit next to LeBron, but like as a calculated play to win now and also buy some insurance in case LeBron leaves, like that was the best deal on the market by far. I mean, I don't understand what other people what other deals were out there that people wanted the Cavs to do like they could have gotten Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon perhaps like at, at best case scenario if they were dealing with the Bucks they could have gotten Eric Bledsoe and some other bullshit from the Suns and and then Kyrie didn't want to go to those teams so they were even becoming more and more reluctant to deal for him as the summer went on like I don't know I just think that like grading him on that deal was a little bit unfair 
Yeah, you got to be careful trading for Chris Middleton if you're Cleveland. You don't want him to overshadow LeBron potentially. You know, that could get into one. Of the- <laughs> We've got a Middleton question later on in the pod. Uh, I'm just kidding, but he's got a very. I mean, the, the emailer's question is great here. What do you do with the Executive of the Year award? And remember, that one's voted by the peers. You know, the other executives. So, are they going to give Kobe, uh, you know, the the award for just the amazing, you know, bunker stroke? Uh, on the golf course analogy, or are they going to say, you know, Danny, <laughs> slow and steady wins the race. You know, you upgraded, you got Kyrie, you set yourself up for multiple years, you, you pulled the great Tatum trade. Uh, I suspect that uh, Danny will win from his peers. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know how we vote on executive of the year, too, don't we? No, I'm pretty sure we don't. Okay, well, I don't I don't know how it how it will play out politically among the 30 GMs, if that's how this goes down. But uh, and I also don't want to jinx the Cavs. We really are veering into like way too optimistic territory. <laughs> I'm not going to start pitching Kobe Altman as executive of the, of the year. I'm just glad that LeBron has guys who are like 25 years old and can actually run up and down the court. That's a hey, win I, for the entire league. Before we move on, I just real quick, I think one funny thing from our emailer is at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We had... Derek Rose, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, and Jay Crowder traded from Cleveland. We got more emails about Jay Crowder's fit going forward long-term with his new team than we did with the, the other three guys basically <laughs> combined. And obviously, Rose, you know, he gets waved, so you understand that one. But Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, guys you think would really generate some conversation based on their name recognition, I think that says something about the intelligence um, of our listenership. I think it says something about how much we've pandered to Utah over the years that we've cultivated this, uh, uh, this nice little hotbed where they want to know about Jay Crowder's fit and all that. But I also think it says something about those four players. I mean, if the lesson of the takeaway from this early Cavaliers season was the old guys with the star power weren't getting it done, anybody who was hurt wasn't getting it done, who's, uh, who can you save you know, going forward in the next year? If the, the guy most people are circling to us is Jay Crowder, I think that's very telling. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, because we can talk Jay Crowder at some point, uh, what, what was your take on Boston after that game? Because uh, to me, watching them the past month, I mean, they were in D.C. Uh, last week. Like, they're just not very impressive right now and I don't mean to be a hater here and they may get Gordon Hayward back which changes the equation obviously in the playoffs but like they just kind of look flat up and down the roster um and I'm wondering like where would you put them in the pecking order for the east right now well, a cute story. I mean, they've been a cute story for three years. They're a cute story again this year. I mean, what, what else do you want me to say? <laughs> really? We I get... was just clearing out to let you hate on the Celtics because I didn't oh. want to do it. But <laughs> yeah, thank you well, for not look, disappointing. I, I, look, people have heard me say I'm a broken record about the Celtics for multiple years. You know, I thought fake contender when they got Hayward, and I'm pretty much sticking with that unless he comes back. Uh, they didn't look like shattered, like, you know, irreconcilable, but they looked pretty broken and they had no answer for LeBron and it was amazing how easy Cleveland was able to get really high percentage looks like even if they weren't shooting as well uh, as you pointed out that they shot very well uh, they were still getting wide open stuff uh, basically every single possession and and that's why I was 
you know, the last one off the LeBron shit because I figured he'd be able to do that in the playoffs. Yeah. Can I make a diff- different point about the Celtics, though, on Sunday? A more optimistic point, uh, one that might lump me in with some of these fans in the Celtics media that we, we kind of like to make fun of. Mm-hmm. Let Go me for it. Let me just say, let me say this. If I was Jason Tatum, uh, or if I was Anthony Davis, or if I was one of these young guys who's serious enough about their career that they want to have a legacy in the NBA and they want to be big time Hall of Fame type players, and we know twelve time Jason Tatum, he believes he has that. Yeah, we know Anthony. They're already Anthony planning da- the retirement ceremony for for Jason Tatum. Well, and that, that's what I'm getting at here. The way they handled the Paul Pierce thing was unbelievably first class and you know i was joking with you that you know like they retired half as many numbers as the lakers retired with kobe and it took them four times as long to do it (laughs) but when you look at everything they did for paul pierce over the course of the weekend whether it was that you know dinner at the four seasons hotel underneath chandeliers hundreds of people there think about how much that costs bringing in all these people doc rivers kevin garnett that's not cheap uh rajon rondo that's not cheap the entire post-game presentation, they had like 17 different tribute videos for this guy. Uh, speeches, very, I thought, poignant, pointed speeches from both Danny Ainge, Doc Rivers. And then he goes home. I don't know if you saw this, and it's kind of a shameless plug alert, but they also commissioned a stained glass backboard, which they generally retail between twenty dollars and $30,000. I know this because I just profiled the guy who makes them. It takes him 200 hours to make one of these things, and he happens to be, his name is Victor Solomon. He happens to be a uh, open floor listener, <laughs> open floor globe member. But they, they contacted him you know, basically off social media, and he's a lifelong Celtics fan, and they said, hey, can you make one of these for Paul Pierce? So Paul Pierce now goes home with just this random you know, piece of high art, one-of-a-kind custom high art, not to mention his jersey and everything else they did for him. If you're a player like Jason Tatum or Anthony Davis, you know, there's all these different things that we talk about, what could change your mind in free agency or, or what could get you, you know, excited about uh, a new possibility, whether it's a trade or, or whatever else. Yeah. It's treatment like that that sets teams like the Lakers and the Celtics apart from a lot of other people because there's 20 teams in the league and we know who they are who could not even envision doing something that grand on that level. I would even First of all, they higher. I'd say 25 yeah. teams in the league that have maybe, no idea maybe, what they're doing in, stuff, in situations maybe, like that. Maybe 25, maybe 26. You're dead right. You're, you're absolutely right. Because who has the vision, who has the pocketbooks, and who has the ability to say, hey, this is going to pay off for us because we've won with stars before. We know how this works, right? So even though they got absolutely worked on the court, they might have won the day because of the way they treated Paul Pierce. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it full circle there with um, the plug for your story on Victor Solomon, which was a great story. I really enjoyed reading it. It's such a strange subculture. But for the first 90 seconds you were talking there, I was like, what the hell has Ben doing? Just waxing poetic about Celtics pageantry. But it all came together, uh, and you're absolutely right. And I loved every every report about like the old Celtics getting together, Paul Pierce talking the night before, like I, the Ubuntu Celtics, so many people on NBA Twitter shit on them constantly, and I loved that team. So I loved seeing those guys back together on Sunday. And, uh, and you're you're right. Like 
I don't know if NBA superstars think this way, but I know that if I were an NBA superstar, I would want to play for the Celtics, if that makes sense. I, I don't know if that's it, how it works. It does. But, um, well, we, we heard some comments from Anthony Davis earlier this season saying, hey, I'm looking for organizations with structure. You know, I, I kind of look over at Oklahoma City or I look at San Antonio. And he wasn't saying, like, I'm trying to force my <laughs> way there right yeah, now. Yeah, he didn't say that. They, so many people were no. reading way too much into that, like, innocuous... Anthony Davis sit down with yeah. lunch. Well, look, it's the first breadcrumbs. We know how these things work. But <laughs> okay. here's my here's my here's my comparison. Do you want to have a dinner at the Four Seasons with Robert Parrish calling you a better offensive player than Larry Bird and Danny Ainge and all these guys waxing about the high points of your career, or do you want to go through five years of wondering whether your GM and your coach are qualified and going to be employed next yes. year? Period. That's <laughs> point the, taken. That's the that's the contrast. And so, who knows how much they put onto it? But it's very clear when they're watching that they're saying, look. I don't think my current situation offers me this. Uh, maybe I should be uh, considering my options. Okay, so before we move on, reckless overreactions aside, the Cavaliers are now the team to beat in the East, correct? Yeah, they've been the, the team okay. to beat in the East <laughs> since 2014, sure. Andrew. <laughs> Thank you. But beyond that, I want to just point out something that I noticed the other day walking out of a Wizards game eavesdropping on two other people talking about the East. But just if you look up and down the conference beyond Cleveland, you have Toronto and Boston, both of whom are really good, but also will have some some very real question marks coming into the playoffs. And then you have this cluster of teams, all of whom are like a little bit scary come playoff time, but also on a lot of nights have no idea what the hell they're doing. So there's the Wizards, the Bucks, the the Pacers who are somehow hanging tight there in the 6th seed, the Sixers as a 7th seed, the Heat as an 8th seed, and the Pistons who I believe lost their third straight game to the Pelicans tonight but looked decent in the first week or two of Blake Griffin's time in Detroit. I, there's there's a lot of feisty teams in the East, and basically what I'm saying is that I could see that playoff bracket playing off or playing out in like 15 different directions. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see who jockeys where. You know what I mean? Because Cleveland loves playing that jockeying yeah. game too of like setting up their matchups. So how much do they try to screw with it? Uh, the team that I'm looking at though is Milwaukee because they've been a lot better uh, of late ever since they popped our boy and and put in potential coach of the year Joe Prunny. Um, they're in position to have the expectations that I put on them, you know, prior to the season. And here's a little teaser for people who are coming to LA. Uh, for All-Star Weekend, if you're flying United, there's a very good chance the first billboard you're going to see is our guy Giannis. The Giannis <laughs> Inc. billboard is right on the terminals all over. Uh, they've probably got him on like eight or nine straight, you know, 10-foot tall pillars. So he's got the prime location, uh, you know, for this upcoming All-Star Weekend, which you got to love because, well, you know, he's on he's on that level. And we were worried, Andrew, that their season was going to get away from them, that they weren't going to be one of these teams that you really had to care about and concentrate on uh, during the first round. I'll tell you one thing. If it lines up so Cleveland's about to play uh, Milwaukee in the first round, Cleveland will find a way to 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 get out of that real quick. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I still don't totally trust the Bucs, um, but I'm glad that they've gotten it together over the last couple weeks, albeit against a soft schedule. But, uh, I, I mean, 
I think we should all be praying for some kind of LeBron Giannis matchup. I don't care what round it happens, but make that happen in the playoffs. And I have good news for you. I am flying United out to Los Angeles. So I look forward to Giannis welcoming me to, to Los Angeles. That'll be great. Good way to kick off the weekend. You want to give out your flight number? Maybe you could sign some <laughs> autographs. No, it's you, time to move on. It's time to move you on. Buy some people some snack boxes back there in college. Right, what are you going to do? So let's run through a couple of these questions uh, from the trade deadline. Casey says, no discussion of the the harris Moutier deal from the Nuggets angle. It continues your pod's habit of ignoring small markets and talking about the same teams, Wizards and Cavs, ad nauseum. Listen, Casey. Come on, Casey. <laughs> Come on, Casey. Be better than that, Casey. Yeah. I mean, I, do you have any any opinion to offer on the Devin Harris side of the Nuggets deal? Well, he's not Moutier, right? No, he's not. Yeah, so it's an upgrade, sure. C- clear win. Great home run. <laughs> Denver. <laughs> Denver, you did it. Yeah. Look, Casey, it's not a small market thing, okay? Um, you guys can't even fill your stadium. When you fill your stadium, then you can play this Toronto Raptors. We don't get any respect. Nobody cares about us on the national level card. Uh, you know, you're not all that impressive on a night-to-night basis. Right. I think I called the Nuggets earlier this season the softest team in the league. And I think having Harris back there so, uh, you know, a steadier hand, maybe some of the, the real <laughs> uglier stretches that they were going through isn't going to be there. You would hope or you would think. Uh, but past that, you know... Come on, just take your whining somewhere else. We don't <laughs> come hear on, that. Come on. There's a solid 60 seconds on Devin Harris. I feel like that's the most we can muster. I will say this. I came into the year filled with the fire to to love that Denver Nuggets team, and they just have not delivered. Even though they I mean they're winning more lately, uh, but they are not nearly as much fun as I expected. And I, I think we all kind of underestimated how important Gallinari was to some of their success last year and also like Wilson Chandler has been a shell of himself this year and if you looked up and down the roster coming into the season they that's the one spot where they were very very thin and uh he just has not been the guy for them and they they needed a small forward and he's been kind of I I think maybe he's just old um but uh but that has definitely hurt their watchability so I don't feel bad ignoring the Nuggets I mean, the other thing I tell Casey is, look, I mean, we're going to throw a gigantic party for Paul Millsap once he returns. Okay, He's <laughs> no, been out for a while. Not. <laughs> you know, I will be here ready to get excited about what he's capable of doing once he's back on the court. But that's been a real blow for them. I also think they just like bottled up all of their exciting games and put it into that one game against Oklahoma City where uh, they hit the walk-off three-pointer. Like I kind of expected like 10 or 15 games. Uh, on that, let me not quite that level, but that kind of excitement from Denver this year. And just some nights are a lot less exciting than that than others, you know? <laughs> yeah. And not to mention, I mean, didn't they just get absolutely worked by the Houston Rockets? Just like run off the court worked. And again, you know, if you're the small market clamoring for attention, it's one thing if you're the one seat or, you know, you're in the top three in the East, like Toronto consistently, and, and you really are feeling like you're snubbed. It's another when you go up against the, the best teams, uh, in your conference, and you're just getting wiped off the court. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. From one small market to another here. First, we have to address the Crowder question, and then we have to talk jazz in general. So we'll start specifically Crowder. Morgan says, sifting through countless hours of Cavs-centric, yay, they blew it up, analysis from NBA media. 
I never once heard a good explanation of why the Jazz would trade a high upside piece like Rodney Hood for Jay Crowder. So what do you think? I think it's pretty simple, but I'll let you handle well, you, it. You go, you go first, and then when you you know leave a few things out, I'll pick them up. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, I think that Rodney Hood, it's, it's funny. A lot of people are suspicious of Rodney Hood in part because they think that the Jazz are very smart and wouldn't give up on him without a good reason. And I think that the reason is pretty simple, is that they said, look, he has been hurt almost as often as he's been healthy over the last three years. So that already was a strike against him. And number two is it's becoming very clear that unless you're one of the three best teams in the league and can afford to just like spend way above the salary cap every year and go, go into luxury tax territory because you're competing for a title. It's very, if you're not one of those three teams, it's very difficult to build your team by overpaying middle-class guys like Rodney Hood. So it didn't really make sense for them to try and re-sign him this summer, albeit like there's a chance that some team is going to get a discount on Rodney Hood, but uh, it made sense for them to move on. So from that perspective, I don't think he had that much value to, to Utah. And then Jay Crowder is a guy who is on a very affordable deal and was sort of like a low-risk candidate for them to come in and basically just be a placeholder as a starter. And uh, I think that makes a lot of sense from Utah's perspective over the next couple of years. I mean, my God, Andrew, we're going to have to get you a column on basketball perspectives. Listen to you. <laughs> I've uh, done way too much podcasting with you over the last 18 months. It's, it's beginning uh, to make me boring. Well, it's beginning to make me tear up. Yeah, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> uh, here's a trivia question for you, Andrew. If you look at the two guys on Utah's roster uh, heading into the trade deadline, who had the lowest net uh, net rating when they're on the court and the biggest swing between when they're on the court and when they're off the court. Do you know who those two guys are? No, but I, I'm surprised that Rodney Hood is one of them since that's clearly where Rodney, this is going. Rodney Hood's one of them and Joe Johnson's the other. So if you want to say, hey, who had a logical trade deadline and got rid of the pieces that that weren't working out, you would say Rodney Hood and Joe Johnson. A few other things in terms of the money side that you're mentioning – Remember, they kind of had to overpay Joe Ingles a little bit last summer yeah. as part of the whole, like, we're trying to convince Gordon Hayward to stay thing. Uh, do you need Joe Ingles and Rodney Hood that's on the thing, same team? Right. I, th- I think that's a fair question. Also, Donovan Mitchell, I think they're at this point where it's like, hey, let- let's give this guy the <laughs> the ball every possible time we can to just kind of see what happens. Also, you, you mentioned uh, the Cardinal rule without mentioning it by name. The greatest ability is availability. Uh, unfortunately, Hoods had a significant inability to achieve the greatest ability over these last couple of years, and they've been real snake bit by guys who have been in and out of lineup. Whether it's Burks, whether it's George Hill last year, uh, you know Derek Favors has had issues. I mean, you just go right down the list of guys who have been real in and out. Uh, when that ha- kind of becomes your identifying characteristic here and it just gets frustrating for fans and uh, it gets frustrating to kind of build on things and it probably played a factor in, in keeping a guy like Gordon Hayward because maybe he questioned how much upside that group had if right. people are always hurt uh, and to put more strain on him. Uh, I think you have to take an even uh, harsher look at a player like Hood in terms of his injury issues um, when you're making that decision on whether to pay him. And so they had two choices. Do you overpay him, like you're saying, or like potentially overpay him? Uh, or does he walk for nothing in the summer? And one answer that's you know potentially better than both of those is just getting Jay Crowder locked in on a really cheap deal. And 
Uh, you know, one other surprising thing I noticed when I was digging through some numbers is, you know, this guy, Royce O'Neal, he's been playing, you know, pretty decent minutes for them. Yeah. And he has just been one of these guys who's like a net rating stud, right? And so if you've got him on a bargain basement contract, it's that same money ball idea of like, if we can just plug in no-namers, undrafted guys, and they can give us winning minutes, and then we have to consider whether we pay Rodney Hood, who hasn't been able to do that even when he's been on the court, uh, all of a sudden it doesn't seem... Uh, you know, like quite such a difficult guy to get rid of uh, in that trade scenario. So I think that was uh, essentially Utah's perspective in addition to a lot of the things that you mentioned. Yeah, no, you're dead on on all of that. You can't pay Ingles and Hood. Um, And I think Royce O'Neal, I believe, is still starting and Jay Crowder is coming off the bench at this point. But but either way, I want to be clear, though. You think Rodney Hood is good, right? I do. Uh, no, absolutely. But I think that he has not been as good as I certainly hoped. And we had this famous debate, you know, going back like 18 months or whatever, whereas Rodney Hood versus Zach Levine. And neither one of those guys got anywhere close <laughs> to what we were hoping that they would be here over the last year plus. And for Levine, the, the reason is a little bit more obvious because he was just not playing for a solid, you know, nine, 10 months. For Hood, it's just been, uh, you know, more of a stop and go. And, you know, I kind of like, some of the things I saw from him in that debut game, I mean, he was getting some transition three opportunities uh, that maybe, you know, Utah, that's not really their specialty. And then he was just getting some wide open looks because they can spread the court so much when they put the four shooter lineups out there with LeBron. And once they get Kevin Love back, the spacing is going to just be outrageous in Cleveland. I mean, if you play Kevin Love uh, with Clarkson, with uh, uh, Hill, LeBron and Hood, uh, or, you know, take Clarkson off, put J.R. Smith in there, and you've got five shooters. I mean, all those guys are going to be eating and, and just taking wide open shots. So it's going to get back, I think, uh, a little bit like the stretch run last year was for Cleveland's offense when they were just like going, you know, gung-ho three-pointers. I think they're going to be able to to go that route once Love gets back. And by the way, I didn't even mention Kyle Korver, so throw him in the mix too. I mean, I think Cleveland's potency here is uh, is looking pretty nice, and, and Hood's going to be a part of that. Yeah, it's a really good fit for him, and I, I think he was being asked to do too much in Utah early on, and then it became clear that like Donovan Mitchell was going to be the guy who could actually do as much as, as they wanted Hood to do. And so it it is best for both sides to move on. Um, moving on to the other, to the Jazz in general, though. This is McKay. He's hit us up like three or four times in the last month or so with Jazz questions. He says, it's Mac here from the beautiful mountains of Utah. You guys seem to do a good job at never talking about the Jazz. They have won six in a, in a row, and this is from last week. They have now won nine in a row. Uh, and he says they also obliterated the Warriors and gave them their worst loss in the past two seasons. So what do the Jazz need to do to get some respect? What do you think their ceiling is this year? Seventh seed, eighth seed? Where are you at with Utah? Well, look, I would argue the mountain time zone might be the worst of the American time zones, and there's something going on there right now. They feel like, (laughs) oh, I mean, obviously the Pacific time zone's the best. I'll probably give you Eastern a second. Central is probably third. Mountain's going to be last. Uh, well, now we got to think about you know Hawaii too. That's that, that's Hawaii a different story. Is last. But but look, at least Hawaii is not coming into our email complaining about how much we don't talk to them. That's that's my point here is that these Mountain Time Zone fans are just going nuts about not getting <laughs> talked about. In Utah's case, here's what I would say: 
Casual fans like yourself tend to overlook Rudy Gobert and you don't want to consider him a true franchise player because he doesn't average 25 points because he doesn't do the type of things that you love to watch. When he's on the court, I think this year they're like 17 and 13. When he's off the court, they're 13 and 17. That's a big spread. Uh, you look at their recent run of success uh, in terms of quality wins, like you know Mac was mentioning, guess who's back on the court? Rudy Gobert. When you look at the, uh, the two-man pairing, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Now, in this day and age, we hardly ever think about like a one and a five anymore, right? As like, okay, these are the the centerpieces of a team. Usually we're thinking what, Steph and Clay, or, uh, you know, maybe we're thinking like, uh, you know, stretch fours would be one of the top two guys or Harden and Chris Paul, whatever. But when you look at the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert pairing, when they're on the court together, Utah's like a plus four or plus five net rating. That's going to win you a lot of games. And that's pretty special when one of those two guys is a rookie who uh, is going to wind up probably being, you know, the biggest surprise of his draft class, uh, biggest positive surprise, because we know Markel Fultz, a little bit different kind of a surprise at this point. Uh, But that's really all it boils down to for me. Uh, I think, you know, Gobert is that level of an impact maker where when he's out there, your team should win a lot of games. And that's been, you know, three, four years running for them. I mean, that's sort of been the story. So, um, you know, no disrespect intended, but, you know, sorry, Jazz fans, you didn't have a very good, you know, earlier run in the season. We were just kind of waiting to make make sure to see if you guys could prove it a little bit. You know, don't throw a parade for nine straight wins. Sometimes that happens. Just ask the Bulls fans. I'm pretty sure they got close to nine earlier this season. Uh, and look where they are now. Um, and, you know, just hope for a favorable first-round matchup and, and try to play spoiler. I mean, I think that's their uh, that's their reasonable expectations, I think, this season. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would add to that little spiel from you is that while you were casting aspersions on me, calling me a casual fan, I do think that you overlooked the role of one X-Factor for Utah. Joe Ingles, over the last couple weeks, has been playing out of his mind. I think he's, like, hitting... 55% from three or something insane. And uh, he is one of my favorite guys to watch because he's just like kind of lurking. And it, it, as far as I can tell, doesn't shoot anything but threes and does a lot of little things. He's he's sort of like an Australian auto porter. And uh, he's been really, really good <laughs> for them. And for a team that really needs scoring, him suddenly turning into a reliable 15 to 20 point a game scorer who can stretch the floor. It has been huge over the last couple of weeks and Utah, especially if Gobert is healthy, like I'm looking at the West standings right now. I mean, I don't really, I definitely don't want to watch the Pelicans in the playoffs, this version of the Pelicans. I don't really care about watching the current version of the Clippers who are in the ninth seed in the playoffs and even the nuggets in the seventh seed, like I'm, I'm kind of all set. I would, I think that the jazz are better teams than, than the new Orleans, Denver and, and Los Angeles. And uh, I think that yeah. they're probably going to overtake them over the next couple weeks. And they're currently beating San Antonio, which would be 10 straight. Hopefully we're not jinxing them, but like they, they have a lot of good things working right now. Yeah. And I think they'll probably get to the seventh seed. That's just, you know, my gut reaction. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. I was very proud of you because I knew you where you were going when you were denying <laughs> that you were a casual fan, but I was really worried that you were going to ruin it by mispronouncing Joe Ingles' last yeah, name. Yeah, it's so been I, an issue I, for me over the years. <laughs> yeah, but but you, you dodged both bullets. You nailed it perfectly, and so I'll give you your credit. All right, well, from a couple small markets to the biggest market, we need to talk about the Lakers. 
But before we move on, Ben, let me tell you about Mattress Firm. We always have time to talk about mattresses. Everyone knows how important stretching is before a big game. So does Mattress Firm, except Mattress Firm stretches your dollar. Your budget goes further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true slam dunk. Stretchy, stretchy, stretch. Look, they're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, Mattress Firm is more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite 3 and D wing. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast right now to see what deals are happening. Mattressfirm.com slash podcast. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so that you know you paid the perfect price. Sleep trial, low-price guarantee, talk about a one-two punch, Simmons and Embiid, if you will. (laughs) Trust the process. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep. Today, tonight, and tomorrow. All right, let's get back into it. So first of all, this is an email that Brian sent on January 9th. He said, I understand Julius Randle and and, uh, Jordan Clarkson trade rumors, but why is Larry Nance on the block? He's the type of glue guy good teams need to win. He's cheap and versatile with a high motor. He's Nance is the type of player that gets traded as an extra piece in a deal for a superstar, but I can't imagine what they would be targeting with a deal for him and Clarkson slash Randall. Maybe a high draft draft pick? It doesn't make sense. Could they be dangling Nance and Clarkson to help Cleveland's depth in exchange for that Cavs pick? Nothing else makes sense. So shout out to Brian. You were complimenting our listeners and the the high iq of the open floor globe and he called this trade in early january very very impressive well it's very possible that's kobe altman emailing in (laughs) under an alternate address to just test his you know test the waters you know chum the waters a little bit no he did nail it um the Randall factor versus Nance. I mean, I, I think you could even see in that first game for Cleveland why, if you're Cleveland, you would prefer Definitely. Nance over Randall uh, because there is just a gravity that, that follows Nance around. I mean, even though his his personal range is not very big, every time that guy rolls hard to the uh, the hoop, every time you know he you know, goes off for one of those Statue of Liberty-type dunks, lots and lots of defenders suck in, and it created wide-open threes for Jordan Clarkson, and LeBron completely understood it from game one and so he was like just looking off defenders time after time Nance's direction so that he could create open shots for his teammates it was fantastic and uh you know Nance is willing to do that and come away with five points like he did uh, on Sunday and not whine about it not be (laughs) upset about it and I think for Randall he has a different self-image in terms of who he's going to be in this league and uh that might have been one reason why he's stuck in LA yeah I mean I I think Nance is definitely a better role player for a championship level team whereas Julius Randle is a better player overall uh the other thing watching the watching the Nance rolls because you pointed that out early on in the game and then I watched it a couple times in the second half like the the extra attention that he drew I thought that also spoke well of the Celtics and the way they're coached because they were clearly warned about that early on and uh, and guys were responding. It just so happened that they left 
Jordan Clarkson wide open and Jordan Clarkson could not miss on Sunday. We'll see if that continues. But um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be twice as dangerous with LeBron next to him, which will be well, I mean, fun. Totally. And I think Boston, you know, they, they had accounted for the Larry Nance factor, but they didn't account for the Jordan Clarkson get out of jail factor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where he's going from the LeVar ball circus to like, now I'm getting, uh, you know, playoff minutes and, and, you know, major moments in the postseason. Maybe he can capitalize that into a big, you know, sneaker endorsement deal with some Chinese brand and really cake out. Uh, you know, now his, he's probably his stocks moving up on the Kardashian and Jenner watch list potentially because he's, you know, really getting some big time, you know, postseason minutes. So, uh, I wasn't surprised at all to see Jordan Clarkson seize the moment in his first real minutes in the NBA and good for him. Uh, and we'll see if it can continue. Okay. So now it's time for the real Lakers question and probably the question that I'm most excited for in this current podcast. Marco says, I know it's way too early, but. Every time anyone talks about a possible trade for Anthony Davis, they only mention the Celtics because nobody can compete with the package of Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the unprotected Sacramento pick. I know this is a big if, but if the Lakers end up with LeBron and Paul George and the Pelicans decide to trade Anthony Davis, LA could offer Ingram, Kuzma, Ball, Hart, Picks, and Filler for AD. What package would you prefer if you were the Pelicans GM? And is there a better trio to fight Golden State than LeBron, Paul George, and Anthony Davis? What's your reaction, Ben? Uh, my first reaction would be there's like six ifs in one paragraph. That's a red flag. Because <laughs> Fair. <laughs> that okay. Means, that means, you know, myself being a reality-based person, you're, you're asking me to take three or four steps away from reality in sequential order. No, no, no. You um, know what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to take a couple steps back and just look at <laughs> okay. the chessboard, okay? All the pieces are out there. The moves are just waiting to be made, okay? So I'm asking you to stay woke here on what's really yeah. coming in L.A. The problem is that Marcos used a laser pointer to like knife like half the chess pieces off the board, just like shoot them through the head with lasers so they don't exist anymore. It's not a real chess game here. <laughs> In terms of his question, I think this is a fundamental uh, preference at this point. Let's say you did have LeBron and Paul George. Would you prefer to have all of those young players making sure you have a full rotation set mm -hmm. around those two guys? Or would you prefer to have Anthony Davis knowing that if you have those three huge salaries, it's going to get to be real slim pickings from players four through uh, you know, 10, 11 in your rotation, right? I think you can make a pretty strong argument uh, given what we've seen here the last couple of years in Cleveland where the depth gets tested really quick and, you know, they don't have enough uh, behind their top three guys until recently that you might prefer the the deeper approach. You know, you might not want more than two max level players on the same team if you're trying to compete with Golden State. Now, that is not what Marcos wants to hear because Marcos wants to dream big and he wants to imagine uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron, and Paul George right. just, you know, wreaking havoc. Uh, but I think when you're constructing it that way, you're taking on five or six guys on veteran minimum contracts who are going to have to play for you. And you probably have your pick of those aging vets because everyone would want to be in LA with these uh, you know, amazing stars. But I think you're really increasing your instability much more than you would think if you pursued that route. See, I hear what you're saying, but I think you might be over basketball nerding it on this one. And I, like, 
I think that the, you could make an argument Never. that the that the Pelicans would want to just go if they're going to tear it down. They're going to want to just go extremely young and get a top five, top ten pick from the Kings. I get it, um, but I don't know though. I mean, Ingram looks like he's more likely to be a star than Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. Um, Lonzo Whoa. is really good. <laughs> no shots. No shots at Celtics Nation. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but you- That's going to be a Reddit headline. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, all I'm saying is that I think there are a couple reasons that I am skeptical of. Really, there's only one reason uh, that I'm skeptical of Anthony Davis to Boston, and it's just because things rarely play out as as we expect them to especially when you look two or three years in advance and i feel like everybody has been calling ad to boston for so long and that's just not the way the nba has worked over the last five or ten years generally people think they know exactly how things are going to happen and then summer arrives and someone just like picks up the chessboard and flips it over and and everything gets turned upside down and I think that could really happen in L.A. I mean, Magic and Palinka, as I've said on this podcast a couple times, are much smarter than a, a lot of people realize. And this is in play. Every time people say the Celtics have the best package for Anthony Davis, it is technically incorrect because the Lakers have just as good a package to throw at New Orleans. And uh, I think the, the main thing is going to be whether it like if the Pelicans miss the playoffs, does everyone down there just keep their jobs and and keep it status quo? Because if that's the case, I don't think they trade AD. I think the only way he moves is if there's like a, a full on regime change and New Orleans hires someone like Sam Hinkie to come in and just like clean house and, and build from the ground up. But well, this this proves my point about you and the consensuses, though, because you know I think you were one of the first people who was saying Anthony Davis is the Celtics. Now you've convinced other people to say it. Now you want to run a different direction. <laughs> I, I totally <laughs> understand uh, that response from you. You know, no doubt. I think uh, the Lakers package is pretty solid. I guess I was looking at it from the Lakers perspective of, uh, you know, do you do you want to take on this big three model where those three salaries are going to be just huge? Well, one other question I have for you though, about, you know, Davis to the Lakers. Let me ask you this. Do you agree with me that Anthony Davis has probably the least charisma of any top 10 player in the NBA? I mean, it, it'd be hard to sell him. You know, yeah. we talk about how much we, we love to be on Giannis Inc. I mean, AD Inc. <laughs> There's a lot of open seats on that so board right it's, now, man. It's they've, tricky. They've milked, they've milked that eyebrow thing far more than they can. <laughs> like they've taken it every direction. And I mean, I'm sure his environment down there you know, in New Orleans doesn't really help things in terms of like the national stage because he's not getting the primetime minutes and all that. But personality-wise, story-wise, like, do we even know this guy? He's been in the league for five years and it feels like he's still kind of a blank slate. Uh, and I think he likes it that way. And so does he want to be in LA? Does he want to be a Laker like so many of these guys do? I think that's my question. Uh, well, the point on his personality is fair. I do think like, if you go across the top 10 players, Kawhi has very little charisma, but he, he's almost so stoic that it's become a bankable brand. Whereas Anthony Davis, just no one has heard him speak in the last five years. And people are like, I'm sure a lot of mainstream fans just don't care about him. I would add, though, that 
Anthony Davis had 38 and 10 tonight, and that's why you make the deal for Anthony Davis. That's why you don't worry about filling out the bottom half of your rotation because he is ridiculous. And I think just if we're being real, like the next team to beat the Warriors to me is the team that trades for Anthony Davis. And that's why I think it's in play for, for the Lakers. Um, and they wouldn't necessarily have to give up all of those young guys. I think even if you put up, if you put Lonzo and Kuzma and I, I just want the Lakers to keep Ingram. They probably have to give up Ingram in that deal, but they are a factor. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think what you need to do right now is just say the Lakers can get Anthony Davis for Josh Hart and a first round pick. You know, Serena winners. <laughs> she just made she just made a big move from Lakers Nation to Portland. She does a great job, uh, but that's an open slot. I mean, I think you could probably slide in as a Lakers Nation writer. Maybe Forum Blue and Gold could <laughs> could give you a guest column. I mean, I don't know exactly what you're angling here. Uh, for in terms of this pro Laker propaganda you're trying to well, throw no, out right it's now. Just everyone, dial it back, buddy. <laughs> everyone for the last nine months has been like, why would LeBron ever go to the Lakers? Why would he ever want to play with Lonzo? Why would he want to go to the West? Like, First of all, if they trade Lonzo for Anthony Davis, suddenly this gets a lot realer. If if Paul George is out there, it, it, like this this makes more sense than people want to admit, I guess. it's It's the type of thing that... like is very easy to make fun of on Twitter, but if a couple things fall into place, it gets very, very real and pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, you, you you know we've been talking a lot about Bear Stearns and stock cra- uh, stock market crashes here on the open floor in, a, in the last couple of weeks. Can I tell you? The fastest stock crash ever will be if Lonzo ever gets traded by the Lakers. Can you imagine <laughs> Lonzo toiling for the Pelicans? Do you think anyone would care about Lonzo or what Lavar has to say uh, if he if he was running out, you know, thirty eight win seasons for the Pelicans? Forget about yeah, it. Yeah, my I feel bad for Lonzo. I think everybody feels bad for Lonzo deep down. Um, although not as bad as we currently feel for Markel Fultz, so he's got that going for him. Uh, let's move on though. To back to the small market teams, Dan says, I'm a native Milwaukeean who recently moved to Seattle, and your show is a great listen for when I'm out walking my dog in the rain. Shout out to Dan, a longtime member of Bucks Twitter, who I'm familiar with from my early days of Giannis fascination. I didn't know he lives in Seattle, but I'm jealous about him. I'm jealous of him on that as well. Uh, he says, My question is about someone who's randomly one of Open Floor's most discussed players. Chris Middleton. The Bucks, <laughs> the Bucks quietly have a ton of decisions to make in the summer of 2019 when Middleton, Bledsoe, and Brogdon will all be free agents. Meanwhile, Tony Snell, John Henson, and Matthew Delvadova will still be on the books at a combined $30 million a year. M- Middleton will probably be the most valued of those free agents, but my question is this. Is Chris Middleton going to be a max player on his next contract? What do you think, Ben? Uh, I doubt it. I would say, you know, his quote was, you know, they're quietly going to have a ton of decisions in the summer of 2019. I would strengthen that to very, 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 very quietly. I mean, let's not get... (laughs) (laughs) No, just like, okay, Middleton, Bledsoe, and Brogdon, like, yeah, these are decisions, but we're talking 18 months away. They haven't even really won a playoff series with Giannis. They have more pressing concerns in the salary cap mechanics that are coming 18 months from now. And you look at this roster in terms of how much they've turned it over here in the last six months alone. I mean, people were fretting, oh my God, what's going to happen with Greg Monroe's contract for like two solid years there? 
And did that end up mattering? No, not at all. I mean, they just moved on from it and it wasn't that big of a deal. In terms of, you know, Middleton's price range, my guess is that uh, there are not GMs out there who who love him quite as much as we project loving him, yeah. Rob and I. And I, I, I don't necessarily see him uh, <laughs> on a max number, if, especially if when you- Rob when Mahoney and Ben were running a team, you'd really have to worry. But no one is yeah. going to offer Chris Middleton a $175 million deal. Look, I think if Sarver sells the Suns and we're in line to replace McDonough, <laughs> I think that's when Dan from Milwaukee should worry about the Middleton max. <laughs> There's no question. Uh, but uh, I think- the bigger takeaway here is is what I was trying to get at is the Bucks are a team in flux. And I said that not just because it rhymes, but because it's true. Uh, they're still in the process of sifting through who is going to be part of Giannis's cast and who isn't. And when you're listing off all of these names, uh, even somebody like Middleton, I could envision in two years him not being on that squad and them having you know just a different placeholder there. Yeah. And uh, I think the focus right now for Milwaukee should 100% be on these upcoming playoffs and starting the Joe Prony for coach of the year campaign and nothing else. I don't know. I, I am not at all sold on Joe Prunty and I think everyone needs to slow their roll after the last three weeks of beating lottery teams. But, um, beyond <laughs> not everybody, that. I'm the, I'm the only one saying it. I'm saying it half seriously. Okay. It's, it's just, it's a bit because we didn't like Jason Kidd. Do you get it? Sure. I got it. I got it. Um, as far as Middleton, the only thing I will say is like, if you're giving him, Otto Porter money, which incredibly is something like $25 million a year. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I I know we've been really beating the drum on not overpaying guys who aren't stars, but I think Middleton as a third star is actually a a really nice fit. Um, And if he keeps this going over the next couple years, he's not the the worst guy to overpay. Um, But I I would worry like paying him big money means you can't also try to keep Jabari Parker at like $16 million a year or whatever they end up paying him. It also would mean not overpaying Malcolm Brogdon or maybe even Eric Bledsoe. Like, uh, but of those guys, I would choose Middleton. And I think I'm still mad at them for not trying to trade Jabari Parker for Joe Ingles and Rodney Hood. Um, but such is life. You know, I don't run the Bucks. Okay. The other thing I'd say too is like, this summer is going to be super duper duper tight. It's like if you take your belt and you just squeeze it so hard in your pants so that like it's down to the f- the final little Where is this hole. Going? And then <laughs> when you undo the belt, you have like little marks on the side of your, your waist because you're, you're, you squeeze yourself that tightly. Low point for our podcast. Go ahead. Continue. That's the, that's the 2018 uh, salary cap situation where guys are basically going to be disappointed and not have tons of money. Now, 2019, it might be like it one be little belt. It'll be a one belt loop or two belt loops, a little bit less tight. So maybe you're not like squeezing and suffocating yourself when you put your pants on, but it's still going to be tight. So uh, expect that the worst case scenarios for what you're envisioning as a fan, you know, guys like Middleton, Bledsoe, and Brogdon might be getting most likely just because of the 2016 spike. Uh, you know, still looming over things. Yeah. Uh, those worst those worst case scenarios are probably not going to come to fruition. Uh, the bi- the next big spending spree will be 2020. That's a great point. Um, your belt analogy really stressed me out, but I'm glad we made it through. Uh, let's <laughs> let's move on. Carter, get on my get on my level, Andrew. <laughs> C- 
Carter says, this is from Twitter this weekend. He says, I was listening to the latest SI Open Floor podcast, and Andrew Sharp begged for somebody to prevent Derek Rose from signing with Minnesota. Little did he know the cruel twist of fate that awaited him shortly after that episode was released. And yes, uh, all I can say is that Saturday, I was having a great day. It was raining in D.C., I had some clam chowder, which was great on a cold, rainy day. I was doing some work. Just a really peaceful afternoon. And then out that of nowhere. awful. <laughs> no, it was wonderful. It was a great East Coast afternoon. All right, go fuck yourself with your 75 <laughs> degrees and not a cloud in the sky. Um, Elizabeth is listening. <laughs> listen, it was a great afternoon. And then I suddenly looked up and my phone had gotten like six text messages. I was getting uh, Twitter notifications and... The goddamn Wizards. I I don't think that they're going to sign Derrick Rose, but I can tell you that if they did, it would really test my loyalty th- the rest of the way this season, and I might have to like temporarily disavow the team because I just can't bring myself to watch Derrick Rose play for my favorite team at this point in my life. Like I've got too many other good things going on. I can't do that to myself. So just to be clear, though, on the last podcast, you know, you admitted, well, I outed you, but you admitted that you want to trade John Wall because of his contract. I, and that's not an official this, stance yet. And you're not going to make you're not going <laughs> to pin me to that. OK, OK. Well, it just seems like the money ball move here would be to, you know, bring in Derrick Rose, a former MVP oh. on a low budget contract, really buy low, set him up as that wall, uh, that wall backup in the short term. Then shop John Wall and turn the franchise over to him. Have that face of the franchise guy at a, a fraction of the price. Doesn't that sound like a fantastic, uh, you know, plan going forward? And you know, maybe Rose will have a smaller offensive role. You can give a little more to Beal. Maybe Porter can do more than just stand in the corner like you always mock him for doing. Uh, you know, maybe just like you know, twenty percent less of John Wall's uh, you know ball dominance from Derrick Rose, and then like ninety five percent less of his contract. That could wind stop, up stop. Stop. <laughs> that, that could wind up being an upgrade for the Wizards. Are going to hang you up the phone and go walk into traffic <laughs> after that? Uh, no, it's not happening. Okay, it's one of those things where I was so panicked that I like hit up people with the team. It was like, you guys can't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Um, but you know what, instead of, instead of Derek Rose, what's currently being floated, the wizards are seriously considering signing guard Ty Lawson per Adrian Wojnarowski. I, and you know, Ben, I don't know how many listeners know Ty Lawson is like my Tim Duncan. I have always loved his game. He's everything I want from a score first point guard. Uh, and he dropped 55 in China the other day. So look, after like staring down the prospect of Derrick Rose, Ty Lawson signing Ty Lawson instead of Derrick Rose would, would make up for losing Kevin Durant a couple years ago. It would be such a win. So fingers crossed listeners out there, keep your fingers crossed on my behalf that hopefully the the wizards don't screw this up. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, awful. Incredibly sad. You know, it was sacrilegious to mention Tim uh, Tim Duncan and Ty Lawson in the same sentence. Just for that, I'm I'm going to get up on my high horse and just say, you know, I, I hope Ty Lawson, you know, pulls himself together. I hope he can have another run in the NBA. His talent level was off the charts. Clearly, there were some demons there that that got in his way. But uh, 
there, there's no way he belongs in the same conversation as Tim Duncan. And the fact that you idolize him in that manner says a lot about you. Yeah, and, and the Wizards, too. <laughs> Don't forget that they're the ones looking at Chinese box scores being like, holy shit, maybe this is the missing piece. <laughs> well, but, look, I, I mean... think it says, something, it says something positive about the Wizards that they just didn't sign Derrick Rose and get all excited about it and try to sell a few jerseys. So I, you know, I'm glad they're looking at a plan B. That's true. All right, two more questions here. Rory says... Uh, Ben Simmons is a freakish talent that we're all lucky to be watching, but Donovan Mitchell may be the better player, both now and in the future. What do you guys say about this and where the Rookie of the Year race stands? And I want to add that this is our third emailer, or our third email from a Jazz fan on this podcast. And earlier in the email, Rory says, I may be biased, but here are my thoughts. And continues on to compare Ben Simmons to Michael Carter-Williams and Donovan Mitchell to Damian Lillard. So Rory is about as biased as any emailer we've heard from this season. Uh, But the Rookie of the Year race is beginning to get very, very interesting. So I'm curious what you think. Well, why is it so interesting? I'm pretty much where I was previously. I I agree that it's... no. Look, I agree that it's tightening, but you know, if you're gonna sell this as some, you know, great horse race that everyone has to like, you know, huddle around the the TV set and start betting on, then okay, like just make the sales. Okay. Pitch. For listeners out there who don't know Ben personally, he takes his preseason predictions very seriously. And as he said earlier in the show, he is very stubborn about not changing his opinion. And so the combination of those two you're inflexible with regard to Ben Simmons, and you also your ego is involved, and you you're personally invested no, in Simmons winning no, Rookie of the Year. No. Donovan Mitchell is playing like a very key role for a Utah team that is about to win ten in a row. He's averaging like twenty five oh. a game. <laughs> he's he's been incredible, and I get that Simmons has been very good as well. But Simmons, I think. You know, if you take Embiid off the floor, Simmons is is a little bit ordinary. Um, no offense, but <laughs> he's not, okay. he's not like setting the world on fire on his own. So to me, I, I it's fifty fifty well, right now, and I and I'm probably going to vote for Donovan Mitchell just to spite you and all the Sixers fans out there. Well, that's yeah, and it's my ego that's getting in the way when you're making your <laughs> these rash decisions based on you know which which people you can score you know political points against. I mean, come on, give me a break. Like most of the Spurs, I'm over myself. I've been over myself. It's fine. Totally. I think you're you're not giving Ben Simmons enough credit for overcoming the adversity of his teammate. You know, completely losing his mind in Markel Fultz. You know, you, you don't giving Simmons any credit for that. You know, okay, stepping up his role. That was a sarcastic point. That that shouldn't have been something that you you <laughs> fell for. <laughs> I just think Simmons is still the more complete player both ways. That's basically what it comes down to. I and that's not a knock on Donovan Mitchell. He's been fa- uh, fantastic, way better than I expected. He has been uh, b- probably better over the last what two months or six weeks. Uh, yeah, I mean Simmons. It, I would say he has a larger impact. Yeah, because Donovan Mitchell will have nights where he's clearly better. Um, and does look like the the next Damian Lillard, but then he also has a handful of nights where he he just sort of disappears or or goes like five of seventeen from the floor. And and Utah again doesn't have a whole lot of alternatives, so he's had the green light yeah. all year. 
Um, so I think I would be I would be more convinced if Utah had a significantly better record than Philadelphia because I do think Mitchell. Uh, has more help. I mean, I think Utah's got more structure, more pieces. I know there's been some injuries like we mentioned earlier, but that's been a solid roster. And then they, that group has, you know, largely been together for a while. So he's, he's been put into a nice situation. I think Simmons, uh, to a certain degree, even though his usage isn't as high, probably has to do more like just to make up for some of the limitations of the roster around him. Then you look at the advanced stats, he's better, PR better win shares. Uh, you know the the on off splits are favorable to him. You know he's obviously a significantly better playmaker and passer. He hits the glass more. Uh, yeah, I get what he's saying. You know I I hear the argument for sure. Uh, but you know, gun to my head, I, I'm not moving off Ben Simmons. Yes, the the rational choice is still Ben Simmons. He has been steadier all year. Uh, I but I I again Donovan Mitchell's highs are higher than almost anything Simmons has done. Um. Real quick off of this question, can we talk about, you mentioned Fultz. The Sixers have a chance at having like the seventh pick in the draft. Like they're, I would bet on them keeping that Lakers pick. And right now, Philly's future looks incredibly bright. But if you give them a top 10 pick this year, like I feel like that might be underplayed at this point in the year like there's a there's a good chance that there's going to be another key piece to this core and if i were them i would try to trade that pick but have you thought about that at all um not really mostly because i've been engrossed by this fultz drama mellow drama the the piece by kyle newbeck this morning was very interesting first of all i think he could do another version of that piece that was an extra three thousand words longer yeah with fictional anecdotes that he just made up and, <laughs> and everyone would believe them yeah that's a great we call. could we could all pl- we could all play a game like which one's r- real which is not we wouldn't be able to tell the difference and my big takeaway from that entire piece which if you guys haven't read it go read it i mean it's very thorough he's talking to all of the involved parties Andrew, our idea to send him to Central America for Habitat for Humanity was such a better idea than all the stuff that he's doing right now, where he's like running back to his high school trainer for like secret workouts. And, you know, he's being put under the glare of Brian Colangelo. He's got JJ Redick freaking out at practices because people are talking about him. This guy needs to go away and get away from all of it. It's so obvious. That should be the glaring takeaway from that piece from anyone who reads it. It's just like this guy needs to be kind of safe from himself a little bit. Yeah. In terms of Philly's future, though, uh, I wouldn't be rushing to trade that pick because, uh, remember, Simmons missed a year, so his extension is going to be come up, coming up earlier than you think. Um, their core is still young enough where the more flexibility you have to build around those main pieces – uh, you're going to appreciate, and they still need a lot of help. You know, I don't view that team as being very deep. That's fair. Uh, you know why I would trade and, it though is because I'm I am still paranoid about Embiid's health, and as long as he's healthy, I would want to try to maximize whatever window you're going to have. Um, I'm not sure who they could get for him. Like CJ McCollum, people on the internet have been trying to like graft CJ McCollum onto the Sixers for the last three years. If there were a way to get him on there, that would be the deal I would want to make. Um, Cause he would be such a nice fit next to Ben Simmons who can sort of hide some of his defensive liabilities. Um, <clears throat> but well, on, on the CJ McCollum front quickly, uh, Blazers GM Neil O'Shea after another rough trade deadline where he had to give away a player in, in Noah Vonley because he had to get under yeah. the luxury tax because he'd paid so many guys so much money. He had two major talking points uh, in his interviews after the trade deadline. Number one was 
no consideration to, to breaking up Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum whatsoever. Doesn't ever see that happening. That was talking point number one. Talking point number two was that his phone was ringing off the hook with requests for Zach Collins. <laughs> <laughs> They've been talking of Zach Collins lately. And man, that should, to me, every time I hear Zach Collins buzz, it just reminds me how stupid that pick was. It's like going to a Ford dealership and seeing the sales guy's like broken bicycle in the rack up front and him instead of like taking you to the new fusion hybrid or showing you an explorer like hey do you want to check out the navigator over here in, in this instance it's a Ford Lincoln dealership he's like trying to sell you his broken bicycle and saying look people come by all the time asking me if I'm gonna sell this bike <laughs> and it's and, and I always and I always tell them no this bike is not available but hey Make me an offer. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see what the Sixers do. The idea of Trey Young in Philly would also be a lot of fun, um, although he's probably going top five. Uh, last question. Keep it to like 30 seconds. Paul says, who was better career in prime, Carmelo or Paul Pierce? For me, Pierce was a better shooter, more efficient, a better and more willing passer and considerably, uh, considerably better defender. It's a wash. Is it a wash? Is that what wash means? I thought wash meant like it's a toss up. But anyways, what do you think? I think he was making the case for Pierce, like quietly acknowledging that people would say Mello was a better score. Yeah, uh, probably. Right. Um, you know, if I had to have one on my team, I'd take Pierce, you know, pretty much no question about it. You know, Mello would not score very well for me in terms of what I'm looking for. Uh you know, unless he's signing a, a veteran minimum with the Spurs and finally acknowledging that, uh, you know, it's time to go about winning the right way. Uh, you know, Great. Carmelo Anthony is not really on my radar. Uh, in terms of like who we had higher in the top 100, though, I think Melo pretty consistently was was higher. Um, I also think Mel- Melo that- was a better scorer. I, but I think both of them are reminders that context is really important and luck plays a role in how we remember superstars. Uh, I love both of these players and will for the rest of my life, but Paul Pierce has a slightly better legacy in large part because he was lucky enough to land with a team that could put pieces around him to like capitalize on the the, the final five years of his prime. And uh, that's going to be the difference. And that's why like the people on, on Carmelo Mountain, uh, the, our numbers are dwindling, but I'm never going to give up defending him. But that, that to me, is like, if you're, if you're really talking about who had the better career, like Pierce, Pierce won that title. That's the difference. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, there are mu- many, many more postseason showdowns with LeBron. I think he faced off with LeBron almost every year between 2008 and 2014. There was a couple years that they didn't, but uh, lots of memorable moments. I'm not sure Melo has a legacy, does he? I mean, what, <laughs> he did. What, 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 what's Melo's legacy? Well, the highlight <laughs> is certainly the freshman year at Syracuse, which isn't a great sign for Melo, uh, but... Yeah, so. Well, um, yeah. Look, we we all look, Andrew. We all had fun in college. It doesn't mean that's <laughs> part of our legacies. Uh, but in terms of uh, Paul Pierce, I mean, I would take him over Melo in terms of their careers. Uh, in terms of like you know who had the one better skill, obviously Carmelo scoring. Um, but you know these are two guys who I didn't actually really like that much to be to be frank with you. And um, you know I, I think that was one once again a tribute to the Celtics for really giving Paul Pierce uh, the send-off that, you know, fans would want because, you know, you look back at it 
wasn't there a lot of missed opportunities with those teams? Uh, you That's know, right. A lot of, yeah. It probably should have been more hardware than there was. And, you know, for him to come out like this big gallant hero uh, is a tribute to their uh, <laughs> their myth-making, and it's, if you will. And it's funny that, that uh, Pierce's career has become like an example of how, how much luck can help because for a while in the mid-2000s, the Celtics were not doing right by him and he was surrounded by like Tony Batie and, and Eric Williams and guys like that. And that, that was really not enough. Um, so it's cool the way things worked out for Pierce. It's not so cool the way things worked out for Melo, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take Dirk over both of them. How about you? That's, that's a good answer. Will Dirk get a Victor Solomon backboard from the Mavs though? That's the question. <laughs> I think he's going to get a cushy front yes, office job, which may- <laughs> a little bit better than the backboard. But go read Ben's gonna- story, okay? It was very good. And uh, look, I'm glad we could close this out with a completely pointless debate about neither about two players who neither one of us are that passionate about. Um, hey, Andrew, uh, we should mention though. You know, it's one of the cooler things that's happening around uh, the NBA right now and around the world right now that I've noticed. It's just a trend. People are going to Apple Podcasts. They're giving five-star reviews, and it's awesome. And, and I would really like to see Open Floor Globes listeners follow that trend, get in on it. It's one of the coolest things you can do. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let everyone else know why you enjoy the podcast. It's probably Andrew's humor and his ability uh, to constantly be a grease pig and, and get things right every once in a while. Uh, if that's why, you know, hashtag a team sharp and, and we'll appreciate that. We're, we're narrowing in on 2000 reviews, I believe. Right, Andrew. That's right. Uh, and we'd love checked. to, <laughs> 1900. we'd love to get, we'd love to get close to 2000 by the all-star weekend. Um, Andrew, other than that, emailers can send in uh, questions, comments, concerns, uh, you know, defenses of the mountain time zone to open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com andrew i'm looking forward to that united flight to la that you're taking because that means i'm going to see you later this week we're probably gonna have to do a pod in person at some point during all-star weekend those always get pretty wild pretty nuts you never know what's gonna happen so until then i'll talk to you all right man i will see you soon and uh yeah take it easy all-star here we go let's do it another great edition of open floor is in the books Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.